Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture this morning comes from Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, what we know as 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm going to be reading verses 12 through 27 from the Common English Bible. Christ is just like the human body. A body's a unit and has many parts, and all of the parts of the body are one body, even though there are many. We are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek or slave or free, and we are all given one spirit to drink. Certainly the body isn't one part but many. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that mean it's not part of the body? If the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, does that mean it's not part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where, what would happen to the hearing? If the whole body were an ear, what would happen to the sense of smell? But as it is, God has placed each one of the parts in the body just like God wanted. If we were all one in the same body part, what would happen to the body? As it were, there are many parts but one body. So the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Or in turn, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Instead, the parts of the body that people think are the weakest are the most necessary. The parts of the body that we think are less honorable are the ones we honor the most. The private parts of our body that aren't presentable are the ones that are given the most dignity. The parts of our body that are presentable don't need this. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the part with less honor, so that there won't be any division in the body, and so the parts might have mutual concern for each other. If one part suffers, all of the parts suffer with it. If one part gets the glory, all of the parts celebrate with it. You are the body of Christ, parts of each other. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Great God of love and wonder, of wisdom and mystery, we thank you that you are present with us here today. We thank you that you are present at all times and in every place in our lives. Father, I pray that you would gather us up, that we are the body of Christ, that we would hear your word for us today, your teaching in a voice, in a way that we would understand it and know it is meant just for us. Speak through the music, through the liturgy, through the prayers. Father, speak through these words that I share this morning. May they be useful to you and your kingdom. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Glenn texted me this morning and said he was out of town, and he said, Brad, I want you to preach from your heart, and you just let it rip, and if you go for an hour, it's okay by him. <laughs> he didn't really say all that. He did say, good luck, my prayers are with you. And, and I do want to share what is on my heart with you, because I have found myself using an expression a lot lately. I'm not exactly sure when I began saying this, and 
when it became a part of my speech, I suspect maybe in the beginning of 2020, as I transitioned my mother into a senior adult community shortly before her death, which also coincided with this event that has shaped our lives for the past 16 months. And this is a phrase that I have found myself using sometimes only in my own thoughts. And the phrase is, we're living in truly interesting times. And I use the word interesting because stronger or more coarse language really isn't very helpful for others or even for my own state of mind. But as I have allowed myself to sit with my thoughts and my feelings over the past year and a half, I have a sense that these so-called interesting times extend well beyond the last four, six, eight years. I suspect they have been brewing for several decades now. For me, these interesting times are marked by a growing restlessness that I feel personally in my own heart and spirit and I see around me in our world and society. And this restlessness has left us off balance, looking for stability where we once thought we had a firm foundation. These interesting times that we find ourselves in appear to be not only changing our lives and not merely the landscape in which we find ourselves, but even our perception of those around us, people that we thought we knew and ideas that we assumed we shared together. You see, there was a time, at least I think there was when I was growing up, that we shared a greater sense of unity and a willingness to allow for flexibility, which was created by the fact that we're all different and unique. We all have different ideas and opinions. I remember in my first church, when I was working in Atlanta to help start a Quaker meeting there, it was just a small group of people. We started with 12, and my parents called me, my mother and stepfather on the phone, and they said, how's it going? And I said, well, there's a lot of conflict. And my mom said, conflict? You're so small. And my stepfather said, honey, it only takes two to have conflict. We have lost that sense of elasticity sometimes, which I think is absolutely necessary. In fact, I know it's necessary to truly live in community. And please understand, I'm not talking about politics, folks. I'm talking about life and the world we live in. It's all over. I mean, it's as if there's general malaise that has opened the door of a heightened sense of caution with whom and, and what we can actually share with one another. Because we're afraid in doing so, we may open a can of worms we may never get closed again. And I don't know about you, but I'm worn out. I'm weary. I'm tired of this. I sense a heightened awareness of unrest and impatience underneath all of this, a growing anger, which is really fear. Anger, I think, is, it's an emotion, sure, but trace the roots of it. It always goes back to what we're afraid of. And I am deeply concerned because, you see, I've experienced in my life the devastation of unresolved conflict I've seen it in my family, 
I've watched it where we allowed it to fester and boil over and affecting the people around us. But my first experience of it happened a long, long time ago. You know, I grew up in Ohio. And as a kid, one of the things I loved about Ohio is I loved winter. I don't like it so much now. But I loved winter as a kid. And I mean, because it would get cold and, and the ponds around us would freeze over and you could skate outside. You'd have to go to some indoor arena. And we would meet with our friends out on this pond close to our house. And it's where we learned to skate together. And it wasn't long before an impromptu hockey game, I mean, a very basic game, broke out. And we continued to play together. And, and we learned this game called hockey, to which this day I still love. I was deeply saddened to see the Canes lose, but you know what, it's okay. There's, they had a great season, and there's one next year. And, and we, we continued to skate together, and we played together, and as I became a young teenager, we were all on the same traveling team together, and we were really good. I mean, we played with each other through the winter, and then during the summer on the asphalt. We knew each other. We were like brothers until we weren't. The year I remember, I think I was probably 13, and, and we were an absolutely amazing team. We didn't lose a single game until we went to Canada, and we played these Canadians who were speaking French, and they got in our head, and they whooped us. But other than that, when we were playing Americans, we did really well. We, we never lost. And we were invited to this regional series of tournaments that would feed into a national tournament, and we were considered one of the favorites. But along the way, during the season, my line mate, a guy that I learned to skate with, his name was Danny. We'd been skating together for years. Something went sideways in our relationship. I don't even know what it was. I suspect we didn't even know what it was. But for some reason, we just got under each other's skin. And it began to bleed over into the team. And it began to affect the team in such a way that all of a sudden we weren't clicking, we weren't hitting our passes, we weren't the same team, and this tournament was approaching, and the coach pulled us aside, he said, you guys got to get it together, I don't know what's going on with you, but work it out. We tried, without much success. He put us on different lines, things kind of cooled down for a minute, for a moment rather. But as we were warming up for that first tournament, we um, went out for our pre-warm, our warm-up skate. And it's when you're not really wearing all your pads. You got some of them on. You're out there. You're warming up. You're skating. You're loosening up. And my skate was loose. And I, I, I bent down on one knee to tighten my skate. And Danny shot the puck at me, narrowly missing me. And we're not talking a nice little toss. I mean, he had a slap shot. That sucker hummed right past my head. I wasn't real happy, but I'm thinking, okay, keep it cool. The coach, you know, you, you got, this is a game. You got to you just focus on what you're here to do. We're in the locker room, and I don't know who said who, what to whom, but it was on. I mean, I remember leaping across the bench and just jumping on Danny, and he were on, we're on the ground, and the gloves are off, and I mean, all of this pent-up emotion and this, this, whatever this was just exploded into the locker room. The team was speechless. The coaches came over and pulled us off each other and said, have you lost your mind? They should have benched us. 
They should have sent us home. But they didn't. You see, that moment affected our team in such a way, a team that had never lost all season, except when we're playing the Canadians. Didn't win a single game all weekend. Our season was over. And I realize this is a story about a game. And there are other seasons. And, and we can dismiss this to kid stuff, meaning that it has no impact on my life today. And yet, studies have confirmed that the events and lessons of childhood and our family of origin do actually impact how, and help shape how we respond and how we engage as adults. We learn from those moments and they become the foundation upon which we build our lives upon. In these words from Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, he tries to help us understand that we as the church, those who follow Jesus, are the body of Christ. And he wants us to know that our lives are connected to one another, whether we like it or not. He uses this image or metaphor that may seem unsophisticated, maybe even a little childish. But he wants us to learn the essential truth that lies beneath it to help us understand that each of us are a unique part of this body with specific roles and abilities and at the same time, our lives are tethered and connected to one another. That we as the church are a living organism. It's not this building, which is a beautiful, magnificent space. It's us. We are the church. This is a building, an edifice. We are the body of Christ. Our lives are the ones that make a difference. Our lives that have been given gifts and abilities and each of us here is unique and talented and skilled and can do things and add things to the life of the church and take the message of Jesus out into the world in a way that is unique only to you. And that's an amazing thing. This connection that we share unites us in heart, mind, body, and spirit. It's the mystical union of God's love that we celebrated this morning in the baptism of Eleanor. And as this connection grows and the work of God continues in our own heart, it helps us grow in faith and better understand not only God's for us, but how each of us are a vessel for that very same love. Paul is clear that each of us have our own role and function. And regardless of that role or our position that we hold or the function we provide, each of us is essential for one another. And he speaks of this connection and our care for one another. Those who are stronger or better prepared are to care for those who are not. And, and I have felt this personally. Y'all have cared for me during my recovery from surgery. I can't even begin to count the number of cards and notes and emails that you have blessed me with. And the food that was brought to take care of me and my family. And the prayers that I have no idea how many were lifted. But I felt them. I felt the connection that we have together. And I thank you. Because Paul's understanding of the church goes far beyond these four walls. The body of Christ extends through our lives out into the world and touches all who seek to follow Christ. 
And ironically, I was looking up, did you know as of the beginning of this year, that even though that we are one body, we have been separated into 45,000 different denominations. Spanning across the earth. And while some of us, sure, we get along, some of us don't. And yet we claim to be following the same truth. But we decide sometimes one of us knows more than the other, or our truth, or our understanding is more correct or more right. I actually was talking to somebody the other day, a good friend of mine from high school in Michigan, and his parents were Dutch, and they went to the Dutch Reformed Church. And I guess there's a different Dutch Reformed Church. And he was asking, why, why are there two denominations? Well, the other group, they're not Dutch enough. What? What does that mean? I, 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 I just sometimes I'm blown away by the things that we get bothered by. Because you see, as we're, we're missing Jesus' primary directive that he gave all of his followers, the one and only commandment that he gave to us in John 13, 34, just as I have loved you, so you must love each other. I imagine the disciples were not always easy to love. Can you imagine getting along with Peter? I mean, the man was a strong wool, kind of a bullhead. I mean, probably a lot like me. He had an opinion and he shared it all the time. And sometimes people didn't need to hear his opinion and they need to say, Will you tone it down just a bit? We love you, but come on. You know, you think it would be easy to get along since we're all on the same team, but then you add in all the differences we possess, our individual experiences. And Paul seems to understand this as he illustrates it using these metaphors of comparing our feet to our hands and our eyes to our ears. And then he asks, what about the nose? What would we do without the sense of smell? It may sound silly or childish, but so is our behavior when we forget our connection to one another. Our lives and our connection is also illustrated beyond our faith in the third law of Sir Isaac Newton. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And this applies to you and me as well as inanimate stuff in, in the world. Maybe even more so since you and I are usually the instigators of both action and reaction. But you know, the, the wonder of the message of the gospel is that each day we have an opportunity to, to live anew and make a new choice. We get to decide what kind of person we're going to be because yesterday is over and, and tomorrow hasn't come. And what we have right now is this moment, today. And we get to decide who we will be in this moment, how we're going to engage and react and live in the world Many, many years ago, when I first began ministry, a book was given to me, and I, I have since lost it, but I remember the essence of the book. It was called Balcony People. And, and, and the, the basic gist of the book said there are two kind of peoples. There are balcony people and there are basement people. And, and each of you can figure out what that means. Balcony people are those who, who lift people up, and basement are people are those who, who bring them down. And, and I'd love to tell you that I've always been a balcony person, but I've got to be honest, I'm in the pulpit and I'm, I've got a Bible right here. You know, I've had days when I am not a balcony person. I've had days when I'm right there in the basement and, oh, Lord, have mercy. And thank God he does. And I've come to understand that when I've been a basement person, it's because I didn't truly believe I had anything to offer those around me. That what I brought to the table wasn't needed or valued or appreciated. 
And I suspect I felt this way because I didn't believe or see it in myself or value what I understood that I brought to the relationship with the community. So in an effort to make myself feel better, I made choices in an attempt to bring others down to my level. But as I said, you and I get to choose who we will be and how we engage and when and how we will share love with those we meet. Every day is a new opportunity to begin again. We might even think of these daily opportunities as experiences of resurrection. Each day living more fully into our faith of who we are called to be as God's beloved children. Now I realize there'll be days when we are balcony people and other days, not so much. Don't let that get you down. Ours is a God of grace, a God of love and mercy. When those moments happen, just ask yourself, what's this about? What's going on? What am I reacting to here that is beyond this dialogue or this relationship? And remember that in those moments, regardless, you are still a beloved child of God who is valued and an essential part of the community that we know as the body of Christ that is present here in Centenary United Methodist Church and beyond. And according to what I read in these verses from Paul, each of us is valued and plays a vital role. Each of us is needed, and our lives not only impact each other, but well beyond the four walls of this church. So with this in mind, I've got three things I'd love for you to do. I challenge you to do them. And I'm going to tell you the first one is probably the most difficult. But all of them build upon each other. And I'm going to ask you to do this one right after church. Maybe when you're grabbing lunch or when you're together as a family or with your friends. I want you to sit down. And it's going to require vulnerability and honesty. And I realize that can be kind of hard. Because when we do that... We allow people to say things we may not want to hear, but we're going to choose to do that in a way that we're going to say we're going to create a safe place for each other because we are family and we are friends and whatever we do, we will do in love. And what I want you to do is I want you to talk to each other. I want you to share with each other what it is about that other person, that family member, that, that brother, that sister, that child, that husband, that wife, that good friend. What is it about them that truly touches your heart and lifts your spirit? Don't say, oh, you're a great dad or you're a, I love how you work hard. Talk about their character. What I see in you is an empathy for other people that touches my heart. What I see in you is courage that seeks to stand up for what you believe in and stands up for others even though you may not agree with them. What I see in you is a love that is forgiving, that is kind, and is merciful. I invite you to do that, and I realize, you know, that that's, um, that's a risk. But I know each of us has touched another life. Those around you, you have touched them, and you love each other, even sometimes you don't get along. I know that because I've experienced that in my own family. <laughs> The second thing I want you to do tonight before you go to bed is I want you to consider what your friends and family have shared with you and ask yourself, do I believe it? Can I receive their gift of love and affirmation of who I am for them and how my life has touched them and helped them live more fully into who they are as a child of God?
Will you receive this gift that you share with one another? The third thing may be the easiest. I'd love for you to do it on Monday or early next week. Consider the people you work with, those you see on a regular basis. I want you to encourage, I want to encourage you to ask yourself, how do these people impact and make your life better? What is it you need to share with them? How they have lifted you up, how their example of how they have done what they needed to do, and it wasn't just their job, but they went beyond that. Or they did things when nobody was looking. They did things to help the team. They did things to really care about those they're working with, to make your workplace, your office, your community a better place where all of you feel like you're moving in the same direction. You may be asking, well, why do we need to do this? What's the importance of it? And I think that's a really good question. It's got a simple answer. Because this is you, how you and I and we love. This is how we love one another. See, every day we get to choose who we're going to be and how our lives will impact the lives around us. And Paul told us a long time ago at the church that we are the body of Christ and we are parts of each other. And if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part gets the glory, all the other parts celebrate with it. You are the body of Christ, parts of and connected to each other. Simply put, why do we do this? Because in these interesting times, this is how we love. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.